This podcast is proudly brought to you by Australia Lawyers. If you need legal information or fast access to Australia's leading lawyers, visit australialawyers.com.au. Now, over to Dan for the podcast. Hey, this is Dan, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast where I talk legal stuff with lawyers that I know, like, and trust. I hope you find the information really useful, and if you need legal help, that you reach out to one of these lawyers directly or drop by lawbydan.com, and I can steer you in the right direction. Here is your podcast. It might have come as a surprise that in Australia, the far majority of the adult population don't have a will that truly reflects their estate planning intentions. Why? Well, it's an area of law that is plagued with myths. And today I'm joined by Senior Associate Keisha Gamble from Coots to debunk those particular myths. Keisha, thanks for joining me. Is it an area of law where there is just so much misinformation? Yes, absolutely. Um, some of our clients, they, they come in and they've heard, you know, at the backyard party with their friends or because they've watched a movie or something, they come in and they, they think that uh, one thing will happen or that they'll give instructions in, in terms of one thing happening and I have to sit there and say, oh my gosh, that one there, that's a myth. <laughs> <laughs> and look, there is so many of them, and, and we've been uh, fortunate enough that uh, people have given us a list of uh, you know the, the sort of myths that they've heard, and, and p- potentially myths that actually had prevented them from coming to see uh, or seek your assistance in you know, like drafting a will and, and other uh, important estate planning documents. The first myth we've got is I don't need a will everything automatically goes to my spouse anyway. What do you say about that one? Well, in some respects, this one's actually true um, because if somebody passes away and they haven't made a will during their lifetime and they do have a spouse, well, then the spouse is actually the first in line to inherit because in New South Wales, there's a hierarchy of beneficiaries um, for people who pass away without a will. And the spouse is sitting pretty at the top. So in some respects, it is true, but um, without that will in place, it, it's a little bit dangerous because um, you need to consider what would happen if that spouse subsequently remarried or had children or stepchildren, or what if the spouse was bankrupt and had financial trouble, um, you know, anything that the spouse automatically received maybe would go straight to creditors of a bankrupt estate you know you could have had a strategy in place to prevent that um sometimes if if your spouse is a second marriage and you've got children from an earlier marriage well then perhaps um everything going to your spouse isn't what you would have want to happen i've had one situation where somebody had multiple spouses that were eligible and that's something that they might not have considered um, would have happened. So I think the point is there's just too many different scenarios which would mean that this line of thinking could maybe not play out as they had imagined. Great. So the the next uh, myth we've got is if I die without a will, the government gets all of my estate. What about that one? Some people used to say to me, oh, well, the government's going to get it all anyway. And um, this goes back to what I just mentioned before about there being a hierarchy of beneficiaries that inherit from an estate where somebody passes away without a will. And 
Um, thankfully, the New South Wales government is the last in that long line of beneficiaries. So essentially, um, the estate must exhaust every possible person in your family tree before it will pass to the government. So like I said before, the spouse sits pretty at the top. But then if you didn't have a spouse, it would go to your children or to your parents or to your siblings or to your grandparents or to your aunts and uncles. And all along the way, if anybody of those categories has passed away with children, well, then those children would stand in their shoes. So that could mean nieces and nephews or even cousins. So there's a pretty long line of um, potential beneficiaries there before it gets to the New South Wales government. Okay, now the next one's a little bit dangerous. It is my will is really simple. A do-it-yourself will kit from be it the local newsagent or post office will be good enough. And I think that's the that's the most dangerous myth of all, I think, because um, wills and estates is an area of law that you could potentially do it yourself, um, you know, and the court has over the years even admitted wills for probate that were written on toilet paper, written on the back of a napkin. Um, just a couple of years ago, uh, someone had typed it up on their computer and not even printed it and signed it, and that was admitted uh, to probate as being valid will. So I guess in in out there in the community, there is this idea that, yeah, you know what, I can do it myself. Um, the problem is, is that will drafting can be really complex, and there are certain ways of writing clauses in a will that have been tried and tested over many years so that, uh, any confusion about what the will maker is trying to achieve is removed. Um, there's really strict rules about signing your will and having it witnessed. So all of these common mistakes um, that the everyday person might not be aware about will often come up with a DIY will, and it could mean that the will is invalid. It could mean that the gift you're trying to give is invalid. Um, and the result of that is just ongoing legal costs and, and potentially um, what you want to happen not happening. Right. So next we're going to talk about um, executors. There's a couple of questions here in relation to those specific roles. The first of which is I can only appoint one executor of my estate. What do you say in relation to that? Um, is a myth. Um, it's a good myth because you might want to have the option to appoint more than one, so it's good that we're debunking this one. There is technically no limit on how many executors somebody can appoint under their will. But from a practical perspective, naming too many executors could become a little bit problematic. Um, in fact, the Supreme Court in New South Wales um, have a rule where probate will not be granted in favour of more than four executors at one time. So if you've gone and listed six people as executors, maybe because you have six children, the court's actually only going to give the grant to the first four. Um, right. When you're appointing more than one, though, you should probably have a little bit of consideration for how you want those people to work together. Do they all need to agree with one or another? Is there a majority rule? Um, 
scenario at play. Um, but certainly you can appoint more than one. And in fact, we encourage it with our clients because it's good to have a backup plan in case that person, that one person that you appoint isn't able to do the job. Okay. Now, another myth is that my executor can't be a beneficiary of my estate. Yes, that one is totally false. An executor can be a beneficiary. and There is no rule that says they can't be, except a beneficiary cannot be a witness to your will. And I think that's where the confusion comes from. I've got lots of clients that have come in over the past and said, I really want you know, my oldest son or my oldest daughter to be my executor, but then they can't receive anything. And I always take great pleasure in saying, no, that's not the case. They can be your executor as well as your beneficiary. But that's when we have a think about executor's commission. So um, someone who's your executor, if they are going above and beyond in their role, they can apply to the courts for some payment or some commission from your estate. But if they're also a beneficiary, well, then they can't sort of double dip and, and take the commission and take their share. It's one or the other. Right. Now, the next one is uh, I am someone's power of attorney, so I am automatically their executor. What do you say about that one? Nope. This one is a myth. So the power of attorney document is the document that allows somebody to make decisions on your behalf um, whilst you are alive, but probably um, unable to make those decisions for yourself. And once the person giving the power of attorney has passed away, the attorney is no longer able to deal with the estate assets. It ends on the day that they pass away. Right. Now, now the next one uh, certainly could be dangerous as well for, for people who, who might think this myth is true, and that is when I die, my debts die with me. Yep, that one there is a myth. And the short answer is no. Unfortunately, your debts do not die with you. And when someone dies and leaves behind debts like mortgage, credit cards or personal loans, often the person's family members are quite worried about whether they're going to inherit those debts or if they become responsible themselves. But the responsibility to repay the debts remains with the estate always and any assets that they leave behind are made available to repay those debts first. So the family members don't need to worry about inheriting the debt themselves, though it could actually impact how much they end up receiving as a beneficiary of the estate. And it follows that if there are not enough cash assets to repay the debts, then the executor can start selling the assets like cars, houses, and personal possessions, things like that. Um, and if there are not enough assets to repay the debt, then the estate would be considered insolvent and it would be wound up the same way or similarly to uh, somebody who's bankrupt. Now, this next one uh, is probably quite prevalent in, uh, in, 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 in many families, and that is I don't have a relationship with someone, so can I cut them out of my will? Yeah, just demonstrates the complexities between relationships between people and things that may or may not happen over the years during your life. So quite often I've got clients um, asking me, make sure that my brother or my sister or my uncle or my friend doesn't receive a cent from my will. And sometimes it's not actually necessary to, to put that in because um, only certain people are eligible to challenge your estate 
estate when you haven't provided for them in your will. It's not an open category for everyone. You actually need to be eligible to challenge an estate or provision. And the categories of eligible persons is only your spouse, your children, or any other person who's been dependent upon you during your lifetime. So maybe a grandchild who's lived with their grandparents would be a good example of that. People like brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, most commonly sons or daughters-in-law, they're not actually a category of people um, who are able to challenge an estate. So we don't need to specifically exclude them unless they've been dependent um, upon the willmaker during their lives. But certainly if if you're trying to uh, cut out someone who is your spouse or your child, well then we've got to have a bit further discussion about how we do that because it's a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> right now, uh, following on from that one, uh, the next is if I give someone a dollar in my will, they won't be able to challenge my estate. This is my favourite myth to debunk and it's because nothing could be further from the truth with this one. Um, so if the person you are leaving $1 to is one of the categories of eligible people we just spoke about, so your spouse or your child or someone who's been dependent on you, well, unfortunately, regardless of if you give them a dollar or $100 or $100,000, they may still be able to challenge the estate. And that's because in this area of law, someone who's eligible needs to, to prove to the court that what they've been given or not given under your will is inadequate for their needs. And so what someone's needs and what, what's adequate to meet their needs is, is relative and really different depending on the circumstances of their family So uh, and the size of the estate. In an estate that's you know, $10,000, maybe a dollar is adequate for your needs. But in an estate that's over a million dollars, maybe a dollar isn't adequate. And and that's this whole area of law that we delve into about need and how much provision. And it's interesting, um, lots of people aren't aware that in this division of law, the, the family provision claim division, which is the, the challenging the estate, it's not actually uh, an entitlement. Just because, for example, you're someone's child and you've been cut out, you can't put your hand out and say, I'd like my equal share. It's a needs-based jurisdiction. So a court's only going to take from beneficiaries named in a will and give to you if you can prove that you've got a need for it. So right. experience, um, it's quite often maybe the black sheep of the family who's been cut out. They've been off the grid for some time, they haven't had a relationship, um, you know, but they, they might be in a position where, you know, they don't have a house, uh, you know, they're renting, they might not have great job prospects, they um, might have health complications. And unfortunately, uh, because of the way this area of law works, it sometimes does put them in a, in a great position to make a claim. So... Um, it can be understandable that many people consider not even preparing a will if it can be challenged anyway, but there are creative ways that we can structure assets and estates to mitigate the possibility of a claim being made. So 
I always of the opinion that just because you think that this can happen or you know that this can happen, you should see a lawyer anyway because there might be other things that can be done. Right. The last one we've got here, Kasia, is I, I can just transfer all of my assets before I die. Yeah, and this is a myth that, um, or, or that people think um, to certain what we just spoke about challenging the will is if I get rid of all of the assets in my estate, well, then there's nothing for X, Y, Z person to even challenge. And I can understand that line of thinking, but the, um, the courts aren't silly. And so they have a concept in this area of law called notional estate. And so when someone passes away, their actual estate is made up of all of the assets that are in their name at the time of their death. But notional estate exists to capture property that the deceased person may have transferred to another person for less than full valuable consideration within the three years prior to their death. So, for example, I might want one child to have my house over and above my other child, and I say, just so this doesn't happen and their child B can't challenge my estate, I'm going to give it to child A, and they're not going to pay me for it. I'm just going to transfer it for them. Um, so what you have there is a prime example um, that the asset was disposed of with the intention to circumvent the, the rule and for less than market valuation. So um, notional estate would be triggered there and the house could be considered back in the asset pool available for um, child B to challenge. Keisha, it's a, it's a complex area of law, isn't it, estate planning? And it really does uh, require uh, the attention of an experienced uh, estate planning lawyer. I would agree with you wholeheartedly there. So how do people reach out to you if they've got any questions or want to make an appointment? Yes. So on our website, um, we've got an inquiry box. So you can submit your inquiry there and we can get in contact with you to provide you a little bit more information and arrange an initial appointment um, to discuss what your needs are, what your goals are, and if there's anything that we can do to make sure your estate planning is all in order to avoid some of these pitfalls that we've spoke about today. Keisha, thanks for joining me. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks heaps for listening to this edition of the Law by Dan podcast. If you found it useful, it would be great if you can leave a rating on Spotify or iTunes or whatever the streaming platform is that you're using. Also, if need be, you can reach out to me at lawbydan.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast, made possible by Australia Lawyers. For great legal information and fast access to Australia's best lawyers, visit australialawyers.com.au.